Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time Harold Peary of The Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levin. And now let's visit our friend, The Great Gildersleeve, as he prepares to have breakfast this morning with his niece and nephew, Marjorie and Leroy. Good morning, Marjorie, my dear. Hello. Good morning, Leroy. Happy George Washington's birthday, Unc. If what? Oh, yes, of course. Today's the 22nd. Same to you, Leroy. Say, Bertie, fix something special for breakfast just because it's a holiday, Uncle Mort, so be sure and notice it. Oh, you can't help noticing her special fixes, Marjorie. You weren't here for dinner on St. Valentine's Day, but she served the liver in the shape of a heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on Lincoln's birthday, she piled the bacon and toast up like a log cabin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, but she takes such pains to make everything look so appropriate. I think she's coming now. Oh, yes. Morning, everybody. Good morning, well, Bertie. well, good morning, Bertie. What's this? No prunes for breakfast? No, sir. I cannot tell a lie. Them's cherries. Oh, well, I see. <laughs> I suppose you'll bring in little hatchets to break the eggs. <laughs> no, sir. This morning we have an Lexington omelet. A Lexington omelet? What's mm -hmm. that? It's the kind you don't put on the fire till you see the whites of their eggs. <laughs> it's a sort of revolutionary dish. Oh, yeah. Well, sounds very good for the Constitution. <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> yes, sir. Here's your napkin. Oh, how nice. A red napkin for Leroy, a white one for Uncle Mark, and a blue one for me. Gee, buddy, you certainly got the spirit of 76 today. I bet you baked the cake in the shape of Mount Vernon. No, I don't seem to be able to do that, so I made a Baltimore cake. If why Baltimore, Bertie? Because that's the closest I could get to Washington. That's <laughs> <laughs> not good, and I don't see how I take all them things to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's too bad we aren't going to have a tea party today. You could fix a Boston cream pie for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Miss Gildersleeve, now you're having fun with me. Oh, no. Now, you folks go ahead, and I'll be right back with the cooked oats a la Paul Revere. Yes, Paul Revere. Jeepers, I hope she don't come out riding a horse with a powdered wig. Yes. Yeah. Sam, do you know what Paul Revere said when he finished his ride? No, what'd he say? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's corny, but everybody bites. Yes. Yeah. Stop, Leroy. I think it's terribly nice of Brady to do all these things. Yes, Leroy, I... I don't know of a better way of digesting your history than eating it. Oh, that reminds me. Did you go down and see the dentist yesterday about your loose tooth, Leroy? Well, did you, young man? Who, me? Well, seeing I'm not talking to myself and Marjorie isn't a young man named Leroy, yes, I meant you. Oh, I see. Well, did you? Did I what, Uncle Throckmorton? Did you see the dentist yesterday? The dentist? Oh, you mean Dr. Cotton. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw him. Well, what did he say? He said hello. You? <laughs> I knew he'd say hello. What did he say should be done about your tooth? Oh, uh, he said absolutely nothing. Uh, that's strange. I thought it was ready to be pulled. Leroy, are you sure that young man, where are you going? Oh, I thought I'd go for a walk. Before you've eaten breakfast. Come back here, Leroy. Now tell me, did you go to Dr. Cottom's office yesterday? Oh, me? Let's not go through that routine again. <laughs> now, did you or didn't you? Well, uh, I guess I didn't. 
But, Leroy, you said you did, and he said there was absolutely nothing to be done. I did not. Uncle Mort asked me if I saw him. Well, I did, on the street, and he said hello to me. And I never said that he said there was absolutely nothing to be done. Unc said, what else did he say? And I said, absolutely nothing. And that's just what he did. He said absolutely nothing. (laughs) Now, see here, Leroy. (laughs) You stop trying to deceive me. That was just as bad as telling a deliberate falsehood. And on George Washington's birthday, too. He wouldn't have done a thing like that. No. Really, Leroy, I don't know where you pick up such bad habits. Goodness knows, I've tried hard enough to set you a good example. Well, how about last week when you told the cashier at the movies I wasn't 12 yet, so you'd only have to pay a dime? Yes, oh, well. Well, that was, uh, I mean, uh, sometimes even I need to be reminded. I'll remember that, Uncle. Yes, all right. And also remember that it always pays to tell the truth. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gilsley, but there's a gentleman here to see you. Oh, uh, a gentleman? Well, not exactly a gentleman. It's a policeman. A policeman? I can't imagine what in the world one of those dumb flat feet was. Well, hello, officer. What can I do for you? Excuse me for disturbing your breakfast, but do you know who owns that car that's been parked in front of your house all night? Uh, the car in front of this house? Uh, well, no, I can't imagine. You mean out there? Why, Uncle Mort, that's yours. It, it is? Oh, well, thank you for telling me, my boy. Yeah, I guess it's mine, officer. Don't you know it's against the law to leave a car parked in the streets all night, mister? Oh, I know. I never heard of such a law. But Uncle George, uh, I mean, Uncle Morris, only last week you warned me about leaving the car out. Oh, did I, Uh (laughs) Marcy? By George, George. (laughs) That's right, my dear. (laughs) It just slipped my mind, officer. I won't forget it again. I'll say you won't, not after you pay a fine in traffic court. Just so you won't forget to show up, here's the summons. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. Well, what were we talking about? You were saying it always pays to tell the truth. Oh, yes. Now, furthermore, Leroy... Yes, Leroy? Mr. Finch is here. Oh, yes. Come right in, Oscar. I hurried as fast as I could, Mr. Gildersleeve. Did you bring all the books? Good. Set them down right here on the desk. (sighs) There we are. You know, ever since you called me, I've been wondering why you want the Forrester Estate accounts brought here on Sunday. It's Judge Hooker. He runs a probate court, and I have to account to him for Leroy and Marjorie's estate. And so he likes to snap the whip every so often. Oh, yes. I've met the judge. He's quite a whippersnapper. Yes. (laughs) Oscar, he found out about the estate taking over Quiggs' drugstore... He phoned a little while ago that he's coming over to question me about it. Oh, now I see why you wanted the books. Say, how did we do during the last month? Uh, Leroy, let me handle this. Uh, how did we do, Oscar? Oh, much better. We only lost $213. Is that considered good? Oh, that's a decided improvement over the month before, when we lost $378. Oh, yeah. If this keeps up, maybe we'll get out of the red and be in the pink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish we never got mixed up with that drugstore. It's getting to be such a headache... It'll soon start to break even just from the aspirin I buy there. Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, I, I hate to say I told you so. Yeah, well, then don't. There's a profit, you're a total loss. I never wanted to operate that cut-rate medicine market in the first place, and you know that. Say, Uncle Mort, how did we get into the pharmacy business anyhow? Uh, well, uh, the estate owns the building, Leroy. We rented the store to Mr. Quiggs. But he spent more time trying to train his cat to do tricks than he did taking care of his business. Finally, the cat got so good and business got so bad that... He took the cat to Hollywood for a career, and we took the drugstore for the rent. Gee, does that mean I can have all the banana splits I want? It does not, young man. You think banana splits grow on trees? I have to account to Judge Hooker for every penny. Well, I thought you were the executioner of our estate, Unc. It's executor, Leroy. 
An executioner is a man who kills off... Oh, that's what Judge Hooker will accuse me of doing. Now, don't you worry, Mr. Gildersleeve. The profits you made for the rest of the estate are far greater than any loss incurred at the drugstore. Yes, but that won't satisfy old Droopsnoot. Droopsnoot? Well, little pet name I have for Judge Hooker, Leroy. Skip it. Well... It's a good thing you're here, Oscar. You can explain everything to him. Oh, I, I don't think I'd be of any help, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, no, why not? Oh, the judge doesn't like me very much. So if he's coming, I'd better go. Uh, wait a minute. What's wrong between you and Judge Hooker? Well, when he ran for re-election last time, it just so happened that I was president of the Get the Hook for Hooker Club. Well, goodbye. Now, out with it. What's a big pill like you doing in the drugstore business? Well, it's like this, Hooker. Uh, Leroy, uh, don't you want to run along outside while I talk to the judge? No, let the boy stay. After all, this concerns him, too. Sit down, Leroy. Thanks, Judge. Say, Unc, can I call him by your pet name? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, quiet, Leroy. Yes, and don't interrupt, my boy. This is just the same as a court hearing. A court hearing? It, it is? Raise your right hand, Uncle. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you? Sit down, Leroy. <laughs> now, look here, Judge. Can't we do this some other time? No, I'm too busy these days. Even have to work on George Washington's birthday. Well, speak up, Gildersleeve. Well, it's like this, hooker, old pal. A now, business... cut out the old pal business, Gildersleeve. This is official. Oh, yes, Your Honor. If... The estate had a wonderful chance to pick up uh, this business for practically nothing. I see. Was it in good shape when you took it over? Well, it was a going concern. Uh, but, Uncle Mort, would George have said that? Uh, George? What George? Oh, yes, that George. <laughs> if I get you, Leroy, uh, well, uh, to be frank, Judge, it had been a going concern, but by the time we got it, it had went. <laughs> well, how did you happen to take it over in the first place? Well, it was this way. Uh, 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 Leroy, are you sure you don't want to go out for a walk or something? Cheapers, no, I don't want to go out for a walk or anything I figure I'll have more fun here Yeah, so I'm figuring too Well, Your Honor, we, uh, we were dragged into this affair by a trained cat What did he do, sell it to you? Yep. No, he didn't sell it to me, you little know Little know what, Gildersleeve? Oh, you little know what I was going to say, Judge <laughs> Now get going, come on, get going Yes, all right, Judge if the former owner of this pharmacy, uh, I mean, the, the former owner of this pharmacy, <laughs> if, if the former owner of this pharmacy neglected his business and fell so far back in his rent that one day we found ourselves in the bicarbonate of ice cream soda business. <laughs> well, how's it been doing? Oh, business is a good deal better now than at first. Yeah, Uncle Mort, tell the judge how much more money you didn't lose this month than you did last. What's this? Losing money? Uh, you have no business risking the estate's funds like this, Gildersleeve? I want you to get rid of that place at once, or I'm going to get rid of you as executor faster than that. Do it quickly, Gildersleeve. Goodbye. Gee, Uncle, this looks serious. Yes, you don't realize how serious it is, Leroy. I've been trying to sell that place for months, but I can't get a decent offer. Why not? Because right now, pharmacies are a drug on the market. hear from the great Gildersleeve again in just a moment. Meantime, I think you'll all agree it's always mighty helpful to have a good reputation. Well, that's certainly true of parquet margarine, the delicious margarine made by Kraft. Lots of people first tried parquet margarine because it's made by Kraft. 
And just about everybody knows Kraft's reputation for wholesome, fine-tasting foods. You see, people figure that since Miracle Whip and the other Kraft products are outstandingly good, parquet margarine must be mighty good, too. But what makes people keep right on using parquet margarine is its delicious, appetizing flavor that makes it taste so good, spread on bread or toast or rolls. Yes, and that goes for cooking, too. Parquet margarine is a real flavor shortening for baking. And you'll like it for pan frying because it doesn't spatter or stick to the pan. And remember, parquet margarine is a wholesome, nourishing energy food. And besides that, every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of vitamin A. So why not find out how good margarine can be by trying delicious parquet margarine tomorrow? Remember, ask for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet made by Kraft. back to the great Gildersleeve. It's Monday morning, and Uncle Mort is no closer to finding a buyer for the drugstore than he was yesterday. Oh, good morning, Uncle. Have a nice rest? I had no rest, my dear. I tossed and turned like a scow in a storm, and I finally dropped off to sleep at about six o'clock and had a nasty nightmare in Technicolor. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Yes. All I can remember about it was that Judge Hooker was crossing the Delaware to buy a trained cat at a Hollywood drugstore, and I was doing the rowing. <laughs> Take things too much to heart, Uncle. Yeah. Now forget about business for a while and relax. I wish I could, but I'm all strung up like a zither. Maybe today I can get a deal started for that high-priced, cut-rate drugstore. If I could get the judge off my neck and Leroy out of my graying hair. <laughs> What's Leroy got to do with it, Uncle? Well, you remember that Washington's birthday lecture about truth I gave him yesterday? Oh, yes. Well, he's appointed himself my personal censor. Oh. It's rather inconvenient when you're discussing business. And if I'm to get rid of that prescription parlor, well... Sometimes it's going to be necessary to... Uh... Morning, Marjorie. Yeah. Morning, Uncle Moore. What are we going to do today? Leroy, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're going to school, aren't you? Oh, no. Today's a holiday, too. No school on Monday when Washington's birthday falls on Sunday. Hooray! Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Leroy, why don't you go to a nice movie today, huh? Several movies. I'll give you the price. Oh, no. I want to go down to the drugstore with you. I figured out a way to save a lot of money. How, Leroy? Well, I can work there after school on Saturdays as a soda jerker. I bet I'd make a swell banana splitter. <laughs> I could sell a lot of bananas. No, Leroy. We're trying to sell the whole thing at once. Not one banana at a time. <laughs> you better go to the movies if you know what's good for me. Hey, <laughs> Uncle Moore, why don't you get the city drug company to buy it? Huh? They own most all the other drug stores in town. Yeah, that's just it. They're too darn independent. I went to see the manager, and he said he'd take it up with the board of directors. You know, a big business brush-off. But, Uncle, don't you know? The City Drug Company is owned by the Summerfield Investment Corporation, and that's controlled by Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell. Twitchell? I thought that old greyhound owned the bus line. <laughs> she does. <laughs> also, the Twitchell Steam Laundry, the Merchants National Bank, and four or five apartment houses. Well, I'd underestimated Mrs. Twitchell. Gee, are you going to sell out the drugstore, Uncle? I don't underestimate her that much, Leroy. But somebody told her all those other things. Uh, yeah. Yes, they did, Uncle. Oh, I know. She'll be over at Red Cross headquarters this morning. 
Why don't you drive me down now and just sort of casually get into conversation with her? Uh, I don't think it'll do any good. Oh, go on. You've got a way with the ladies, Uncle. Yeah, if I have, then she's no lady. <laughs> I've just met her three times, and we already hate each other as if we'd been friends all our lives. <laughs> Oh, but it won't do any harm to try. Huh? Besides, I need a ride down there. Yeah, me too. I'm going to a movie. Well, I don't know what to say. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gillespie, but there's a gentleman here to see you. Oh, great jumping jeeps. I forgot to put the car in the garage again last night. Uh, you hold him there, Bertie, while we sneak out to the back and drive away. But, gee, where's Hump? George Washington never did a thing like that. George Washington never got a traffic ticket either, you know, <laughs> Come on. Uh, wait a minute, Mr. Gillespie. This ain't no police. Oh, he isn't? Oh, well, in that case, <laughs> I was only joking, Leroy, yeah. You were? Why, of course. I wouldn't do a thing like that on the legal holiday after George Washington's birthday, would I? Well, I wouldn't. <laughs> Bring the man in, Bertie. Yes, sir. Oh, by the way, did he say who he was? He said he's from the city and about the drugstore and supposed to find out how much everything in it is worth. Oh, wait a minute, Bertie. Don't let him in. He must be from the assessor's office. I can't see him now. But why not, Uncle Moore? He'll ask a lot of questions I don't feel right about answering with uh, certain people around here. <laughs> Bertie, you tell him that I've gone. Yes, sir. But, Uncle Moore, you told me yesterday that we should always tell the truth. Yeah, that's right, Leroy. But we aren't gone. We will be by the time Bertie gets to the front door. Come on, children. We're sneaking out the back way. <laughs> at you before we go in to meet Mrs. Switchell, Uncle Mort. Now, don't be nervous. I'm uh, not a bit nervous, Marjorie. Uh, maybe I'd better throw away my cigar. Uh, now, what did I do with that cigar? You threw it away. What? Oh, yes. Now, let's not get excited. Uh, how do I look, Marjorie? Oh, just fine. My, but you're a handsome man. Wait a minute, Marjorie. Remember what Uncle Mort said about telling the truth. <laughs> but I really think so, Leroy. Now, hold still, Uncle, while I pull the thread. Yeah. There. You're a slick-looking smoothie, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, you mean you are, my dear. Oh, honest, I never saw two more active members of the I'll Scratch Your Back if you'll do the same for me, society. <laughs> How about saying something nice to me for a change? All right, Leroy. Goodbye and enjoy yourself at the movies. Okay, see you later. So long, Marge. Goodbye, Bye. goodbye, goodbye. Well, maybe I'll be able to speak freely now. Ever since I talked against fibs and little white lies... Leroy has been an impediment in my speech. <laughs> well, let's go in now. And remember, just start getting a conversation with her casually and bring the subject of drugstores up in a very offhand manner. Offhand, all right. They say it's lucky that we're meeting her here in the Red Cross Center in case I have any trouble with the old battle axe. Oh, don't think of it. Come on in now. Yeah, all right. Uh, keep your fingers crossed, T.P. Oh, hello, Edie. Hi, Henrietta. Oh, I'll be right there to help you, Ruth. Oh, Mrs. Twitchell. Oh, it's so nice seeing you again. Oh, how do, my dear? <laughs> well, goodbye, Uncle Mort. Thank you ever so much for bringing me down. Oh, by the way, you know Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell, don't you, Uncle Mort? Oh, uh, yes, of course. How are you this lovely morning, Mrs. Twitchell? Fine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it's a mighty curious thing, Mrs. Twitchell, but I, I just discovered that we're business rivals. <laughs> I suppose you're talking about my laundry. What are you doing, taking in washing? <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. Just a drugstore. Oh, drugstore. Oh, yes, you know, uh, 
place where they sell postage stamps, sandwiches, and once in a while a bottle of fly spray. I am aware of drugstores, Mr. Gildersleeve. I just don't happen to remember that I own any. Well, well, think of that, Marjorie. Mrs. Twitchell has so many drugstores, she doesn't know she owns any. Oh, well, I think my uncle meant the city drug chain, Mrs. Twitchell. Oh, yes, that, I see. Uh, uh, well, you... Excuse me, Uncle Mort, can I see you a second? You forgot to give me the dough for the show. Oh, well, just as soon as I'm finished, Leroy, as I was saying, Mrs. Twitchell, we have acquired the ownership of Quigg's Drugstore. And while it's not what you might call real competition at present, we're considering branching out, and we may soon give you a run for your money. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yes. Uh, we've got plans to put a drugstore on every corner downtown. Oh, remember George Washington. George Washington? Uh, yes. We're going to call them the George Washington Drugstores. <laughs> oh. Yes. However, Mrs. Twitchell, we might consider selling out, since we have so many other interests. That is a very good idea, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, do you think so? Yes, indeed. I had so many other interests myself. I sold all my drugstores to a New York chain last month. Goodbye. Oh, this is one of my bad days. <laughs> Yes, now maybe I'll get a little peace and quiet for a while. <laughs> then Leroy, he ain't with you, huh? No, he's gone to see a movie. I always enjoy the movie show Leroy sees. I can rest so nicely while he's there. <laughs> uh, excuse me for saying so, Mr. Gilfley, but you seem to be acting kind of skitterish lately. Uh, skitterish? Oh, you mean nervous. <laughs> well, yes, if you prefer your language without any flavor to it. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose I have been a bit jumpy. Leroy has been trying to make another George Washington out of me, and... I've been telling the truth until I'm red, white, and blue in the face. Well, what you need is a little rest. Yeah, that's right. And thank goodness you got rid of that tax assessor. Oh, but Mr. Gildersleeve... Can you imagine what a tax bill I'd have with Leroy around to gum up the works? <laughs> shh, Mr. Gildersleeve. Why should I shh, Mr. Gildersleeve? There's nothing to hear me here, is there? Yes, that supper man, he's right in the living room. The who? I couldn't get rid of him. Oh, sometimes I'd like to be a hermit if I could find a nice warm cave. All right, Bertie, it isn't your fault. Well, well, I didn't know anybody was waiting for me. Uh, how do you do, sir? Mr. Gildersleeve? Yeah, that's me. My name is Showers, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'm from the city. Oh, yes, the maid told me. You want to get a valuation on that drugstore we own. That's right. I've been down there several times and never could catch you in, so I came out here. Hope you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Pay your taxes and help smash the axis. That's my slogan. <laughs> Suppose we go down to the drugstore now so you can get a small idea of what to assess us. <laughs> Have you got a car? Oh, yes, but I'm saving rubber, so I left it home. Think that's a good idea? Oh, splendid idea. In fact, I like it so much, I'm going to leave mine home, too. Come on, we'll walk. <laughs> well, I didn't realize it was so far down here. Uh, neither did I. Remind me to treat you to a corn plaster. <laughs> well... Let's get started. Just haul out your notebook and shoot the questions to me. All right. Suppose we begin with those neon signs outside, the ones that read Quigg's Open All Night Pharmacy. Uh, what do they worth? Oh, about $25, $20, $15. For the both of them, of course. They look like they cost a lot more. Yeah, that's true. But they haven't much resale value. Where are you going to find anyone named Quiggs who is not only a druggist, but also stays up night? <laughs> yeah. No, on second thought, I don't think they're worth more than $10. Uh, signs, uh, ten dollars. Yeah. Now, inside, how about the soda fountain? That looks very nice and new. Oh, the seats are pretty worn. I'll show you what I mean. 
Young man, I wonder if you mind standing up a minute. Oh, Leroy, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm having a double nut chocolate sundae with whipped cream and lemon phosphate to wash it down. Yeah. What's the matter? Are you getting tired of banana splits? Yeah, I've had three of them already. You... Yeah. What are you and that man doing, Unc? Nothing that need concern you, my boy. Excuse the interruption, Mr. Showers. Uh, now, what were we saying? How long have you had that soda fountain? Oh, uh, quite a long time. Oh, not this one, Uncle Ward. Don't you remember? Uh, you paid $3,000 for it right after the first of the year. Uh, $3,000, eh? Yes. Isn't it lucky I have my little nephew here to remind me? <laughs> Say, do you want me to help you in case you forget anything else, Unc? No, Leroy. Uh, why don't you have some more nice ice cream? <laughs> You're a growing boy, and you need the vitamins. Well, thanks, but I'll have to wait a little while before I can eat any more. Uh, I'll just tag along with you. Oh, that'll be Ducky. Yeah, Donald Ducky. <laughs> uh, now, uh, what is your next question, Mr. Showers? How about these other fixtures? The cigar counter, the perfume displays, and uh, these glass cabinets. Oh, well, to tell the truth, they're new, too. Yes, to tell the truth. Uh, the bill for them came to uh, $4,400. Well, that takes care of the fixtures. How about the merchandise? Have you got an inventory? What's an inventory, Unc? Something you invent? Uh, Leroy, please. I have enough headaches as it is. Uh, an inventory is a list of all the things a drugstore has that are just as good as the things folks come in for that you're out of. Yes, I suppose you took one last month. I suppose we did. I'll have to ask the cashier. Oh, uh, Miss Capstaff? Yes? Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Your little nephew was just in here looking for you. Did you see him? Oh, of course you must have seen him because here he is right beside you. Hello, Leroy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Miss Capstaff, would you please bring out the drug inventory we made last month? Yeah, and don't forget the one for cigars and candy and, and hardware and paint and powder, Uncle. Oh, yes, I was forgetting them, wasn't I? Bring them all here, Miss Capstaff. <laughs> all righty. I'll be right back. I know exactly where they are, either in the safe or filed away or behind the prescription counter. While we're waiting, don't forget to tell the man about the big refrigerator we have downstairs and that new dishwasher in the kitchen. Yeah, keep it up, Leroy, and you're going to be the new dishwasher in the kitchen. Uh, oh, yes, Mr. Showers, I'd forgotten about them. You see, they set us back somewhere in the neighborhood of... Uh, $837.21. Uh, well, the boy has an uncanny knack for figures. He'll probably turn out to be an accountant when he grows up. If he grows up. <laughs> oh, well, here comes Miss Capstack, back with the inventories. Oh, here we are, Mr. Gildersleeve. I also found a list of all the merchandise we bought since the inventory was taken. Do you want that, too? Oh, yes, you might as well. Here you are, Mr. Showers. Is there anything else you'd like to know? There's a matter of goodwill and outstanding accounts. Oh, gee, we got a lot of goodwill on account of we got so many outstanding accounts. Yep. Leroy, that'll be all. Not another word out of you or... I won't say anything, Uncle. Uh, I, uh, I should judge that goodwill was worth about $1,500. And our accounts receivable. Oh, I was talking to Mr. Fish, the bookkeeper, about them only yesterday, and he says that they amount to around 1000 and he thinks that uh, you... Thank you, Miss Capstaff. That'll be all. Oh, are you sure there's nothing else? No, Miss Capstaff, you've done enough. Oh, thank you. Uh, now, Mr. Showers, have you got all the information you want? Yes, according to my figures, the valuation on this property will run to about uh, 28500 Oh, 28500 Jumping jelly beans. How much of a tax will we have to pay on that? <laughs> I might as well confess, Mr. Gildersleeve, I'm not the tax assessor. What? You're not? 
Then, then why, why did you say you were? I didn't. You just got that notion all by yourself. Uh, you see, I figured I could get a pretty low, honest valuation on this store if I let you go ahead assuming that I was. But then who are you? I'm an appraiser hired by the city drug chain. They're going to make you an offer to buy this place based on the figures I just got. Oh, Jill, isn't that wonderful? Yes, my boy. I hope you've learned your lesson from this. Honesty always pays, Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> The Great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few minutes. But right now, let me remind you mothers and housewives that these days call for energy. Every one of us is working harder than ever. That's why the energy-producing foods are so important. Foods like parquet margarine, made by Kraft. You see, parquet margarine is one of the best energy foods you can serve. It helps to refuel the body and replace energy used up in hard work or play. What's more, wholesome, nourishing parquet margarine is a dependable year-round source of vitamin A. Yes, every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of this important vitamin. Now, of course, food value is mighty important, but flavor is important, too. Well, parquet margarine is outstanding on both scores. Yes, whether you use parquet margarine as a spread for bread, a flavor shortening for baking, or for pan frying, you'll find it has a luscious, tempting flavor your family's sure to like. Best of all, parquet margarine is economical. It can save you money every day. So why not try it? Kraft's delicious economical margarine called Parquet. P-A-R-K-A-Y. Well, we certainly put that deal across, didn't I, Unc? Yes. Yeah. Leroy, and now that all, all I have to worry about is where to invest that money again. Oh, no, you don't, Uncle Moore. I know just where it'll be safest and do the most good. Oh, where's that, Leroy? Good old United States defense bond. Oh, I, of course. Uncle Sam can put to work every dollar we can spare. Hey, good night, folks. <laughs> with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Goodwin, speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guests, Jack Benny, Jimmy Cash, Felix Mills and his orchestra, and the Swan Tech. And now, meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. Well, it's morning in the Burns home, and George is just coming downstairs to leave for the office. Good morning, dear. Good morning, darling. Look what the postman just brought you. A present from Pat O'Brien. Oh. I bet Pat O'Sowery started that rumor about me being a juggler. Open the package, dear. All right. I met him yesterday, and I told him a few jokes. I guess that convinced him I was a comedian. <laughs> what, uh, what are you laughing about? What's in the package? A set of Indian clubs. <laughs> <laughs> 
Next time I get my hands on that oh, Irishman, believe up, me. George. Before long, everybody will know that you're not a juggler. They'll know you for what you really are. And uh, what uh, what is that? Well, a singer, of course. Oh, oh that. Oh, sure. <clears throat> I-, I wrote to our sponsor and suggested that you sing on our program every week. That's the twelfth time. Yeah, but this time he answered. Say, that's a good sign. Open the letter. Mm, wait till Bing Crosby hears you sing. He'll retire and start to raise a family. <laughs> oh, Gracie. I'm not better than Crosby. As good, maybe, but, uh, well, <laughs> open the letter. What does the sponsor say? Believe me, there are plenty of other big programs that would like to have George Burns as a singer. Gracie, the letter, open it. Well? George, what are some of the other big programs? <laughs> Turn me down again, huh? Oh, never mind, dear. You're a great singer. Even Bill Goodwin said that with a voice like yours, you ought to sing in our big army show. Army show? Yes, it's in charge of some officer named Major Bowes. <laughs> I'll forget it. <clears throat> I better get along to the office. Yeah, I'll ride down in the bus with you. I, I have an appointment at the beauty shop. Okay, let's go. No, wait. Uh, before we leave, won't you sing something just for me? Oh, Gracie. Oh, please, dear. Just one little glorious burst of melody. Well, all right. <clears throat> Just a gigolo. Everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. Oh, oh. God, you're wonderful. I won't be happy until your voice leaves the whole world the way it leaves me, weak and limp. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, come on. I'm due at the beauty shop in five minutes. Well, what'll it be today, Mrs. Burns? A shampoo and set? Oh, yes, and I'm kind of in a hurry, Josie. Well, I'll do my best, Mrs. Burns, but we're shorthanded, and I have to work on the customer in the next booth, too. The old horse face, I hope he chokes. He? You mean there's a man in the next booth? Well... Sort of a man. Josie, where are you? Oh, that's him. I wish he'd go sit on a hot curling iron. Josie, come back here. This finger wave of mine stinks. <laughs> no, that voice is awfully familiar. I wonder who... Josie, do you hear me? This finger wave stinks. All right, all right. Leave your hair on the table and I'll do it over again. <laughs> I know that man. What's his name? I'm not allowed to tell, Mrs. Burns. The old goat scared the newspapers might find out he goes to a beauty shop. Oh, come on, Josie. Give me a little hint. Well, he's the stingiest man in Hollywood. Oh, stingy, huh? And how? When he gets a mud pack, we have to save the mud for him so he can put it in his victory garden. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. I can't get it from that. Give me another hint. Well, let's see. Um, uh, he used to drive an old broken-down Maxwell. Uh, no, it's no use. I can't guess who it is. <laughs> You're not missing anything. He's tried to date every girl in town, and nobody will go out with him. Oh. Oh, hello, Jack. How's Mary? <laughs> Gracie, is that you? Well, yeah, come on into my booth, Jack. Oh, sure, sure. Hello. <laughs> oh. Hello, Gracie. I guess you're surprised to see me here. Well, yes, I am. Well, you see, Mary lost a bobby pin the last time she was here. I 
I dropped by to look for it. <laughs> you know what the bobby pin situation is? Terrible. Oh, sure. I bet you thought I was here to get a beauty treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Gracie, you sound like you don't believe me. <laughs> Maybe that's because I don't. <laughs> well, if I'm lying, may something terrible happen to Phil Harris. <laughs> Oh, uh, Mr. Benny. Yes? Here's your mud. I wrapped it up for you. Oh, well. Phil always played too loud anyway. Well, Jack Benny in a beauty shop. <laughs> Wait till the girls hear this. Now, Gracie, look. Listen, you must oh, promise girls, me. I brought your swan soap. Oh, hello, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. Why, Jack Benny. What are you doing here? Well, I'll tell you, Bill. He's Well, a... Bill Goodwin in a beauty shop. Wait till the girls hear this, huh, Gracie? Wait a minute. I just came over to bring some swan soap. Well, Bill, I... Oh, Bill Goodwin has beauty treatments. That's really something to tell the girls, huh, Gracie? Hey, look. The operators here use swan soap. Not only because it's so mild for the customer's complexion, but because that same mildness makes it great at home. For the dishes, light laundry, or for bathing the baby. Swan's the new white floating soap that's four swell soaps in one. Well, Bill, well, Bill Goodwin in a beauty shop. <laughs> really, I, I thought that curly hair wasn't natural. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. No girl in this shop has ever laid a hand on me. Except, of course, after working hours. <laughs> oh. What are you doing here, Benny? Uh, well, I'll tell you, Bill. Jack is... So, here. Bill Goodwin in a beauty shop. <laughs> Manicures and everything. I am not. My hands just happen to look gorgeous because I always wash my dishes with Swan. Oh. Swan is great for washing the dishes. Gives you loads of suds. Suds that are so mild and gentle your hands don't get that rough red dish panty look. Well, Bill. Bill! Yeah! <laughs> Bill, good one in a beauty shop. And I have his... And to have his eyebrows plucked, that's something, isn't it? Now, look, Jack, I told you, I just came here to deliver some swan soap. Swan's a great wartime buy. What I want to know is, what's Jack Benny doing here? Well, I'll tell you, Bill. Well, Bill, go... Oh, nuts, goodbye! Gracie, Gracie, look, for heaven's sake, don't let out my secret. I mean, I don't want everyone I meet to know I've been taking beauty treatments. Oh, don't worry, Jack. They'll never suspect it. <laughs> well, anyway, don't you tell. You know, if the newspapers get hold of it, I'm cooked. And you know how the gang would kid me on my program. Oh, yeah, your program. Uh, Jack, you don't want this to get in the papers, huh? No, I I'll do anything to keep it out, Gracie, anything. Oh, good. Uh, starting Sunday, Jack, George will sing on your program. <laughs> George? Yes. Sing? Uh-huh. Gracie, I've heard prettier noises come out of Carmen Lombardo. <laughs> I think. Well, excuse me, Jack, I'm going to telephone a little news item to the paper. Wait, wait, oh, you mean George Bird? Yes. Oh, George, your husband. Yes. Oh, old sugar throw. Sure. Oh. Oh, well, I, I don't suppose it would hurt if George sang on my program once. Well, it? I was thinking of having him sing every week. No, no, no. Yeah, no, well, I'll call the paper. But, Gracie, this is blackmail. <laughs> I know. Cute of me, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cute, cute. Very cute. <laughs> 
Burnett joins our popular tenor, Jimmy Cash, in an enchanting ballad from the top musical show of the year, Oklahoma. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. The corn is as high as an elephant's eye. And it looks like it's climbing clear up to the sky. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way, okay. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. Oh, what a beautiful We're back at the Burns home now. Jack Benny is pleading with Gracie to change her mind as they wait for George to come home from the office. But but why does it have to be my program, Gracie? I mean, why don't you have George sing on Eddie Cantor's program? Well, because I didn't catch Eddie Cantor in a beauty shop with his toupee and Carla's. <laughs> Gee, there must be some other show he can go on. Maybe maybe Gabriel Heater needs a singer. <laughs> Or Mr. Anthony. I mean, why don't you let George be his problem? Oh, you, you amaze me. How can Jack Betty, who has the greatest talent in the world, fail to recognize George's talent? Oh, oh, oh do you really think I have the greatest talent in the world? Well, certainly. Rochester, Dennis Day, Mary Livingston. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. And now I've got a big thrill for you. I have your program for next Sunday night all planned. You have? Yes. It'll be the new and entertaining Jack Benny program featuring George Burns, California's answer to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I, look, I, I can't do it, Gracie. I mean, I can't allow George to sing. Well, shall I call the papers and tell them about the beauty shop? He sings, he sings, he sings. <laughs> now, listen to the way I have the program all worked out. You're the star, so of course you come out first. Thank you. Your line is... Hello. And then George comes out for his opening number. I just say hello. Well, we could make it hello, everybody. No, no, I don't want to hog the whole show. <laughs> well, then George sings his second number, and back you come again. Good. To good. announce George's next number. I hope my throat stands up. And then right after that, Dennis Day comes in. Dennis Day? Yes. Well, doesn't George do all the singing? Well, yes, but I thought you might want a few laughs on the program. Oh, yeah, I'll be glad to have them. I will, yes. And uh, then as soon as George finishes his next number, out comes... Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Gracie, George can't sing the whole program. I mean, he's not that good. I know music, you know, I'm a musician. You are? Well, I play the violin, don't I? <laughs> well, don't I? <laughs> You're cute. <laughs> Look, Gracie, all oh, that I'm... Yeah. 
Why, Jack Benny. Hello, George. How's the juggling game? <laughs> I'm not a juggler. Why doesn't everybody stop with that? Oh, now, dear, don't get excited. Jack has some marvelous news for you. Tell him, Jack. Well, Jack. I think I'll go call the papers. All right, all right. I'll tell him. Oh, good. I'll run out and make some coffee. Well, Jack, what is it you want to tell me? Well, first, first, I'd like to remind you that you're my dearest friend, George. And you're my dearest friend, Jack. I mean, you're even more than a friend to me, George. You're even more than a friend to me, Jack. <laughs> I love you. I love you like a brother, George. I love you like a brother, Jack. <laughs> I mean, I'd never do anything to hurt you, George. Thanks. Wait a minute, I'll try that again. <laughs> I'd never do anything to hurt you, George. I said thanks. George, look, I mean, I wouldn't louse you up if you had a comedy program. If I had a comedy program. <laughs> I mean, look, you're my dearest look, friend. Look, Jack, What's the news, I mean, Jack? you're even more than the, a friend the, of me. The news, Jack. Look, What's the news? What pals we've always been, uh, The news, Jack. You have some news for me. Look, remember the time in Cincinnati when you were broke and I gave you $10? It was Cleveland, Jack, and I gave you $20. <laughs> well, I had the state right. It was Ohio. <laughs> yeah, the news, Jack. What's this news you have for me? Well, yes. Well, dear, did Jack tell you the news? No, not yet. He's been he's been leading up to it by the way of Cleveland and Cincinnati. <laughs> Jack, I'll bet little Abner won't be the funniest thing in the paper tomorrow. <laughs> oh, all right. George, look, I want you to sing on my radio program. Why, Jack Benny. Now, now don't be really? hasty, George. I mean, don't don't jump at it. Uh, think it over for the duration. <laughs> I don't have to. I'll sing a dozen songs for you, pal, and it won't cost you a cent. For free? Sure. No, no, no. no. I, I can't think of it that way. Well, all right, then you can pay me. No, I can't think of it that way either. <laughs> I know what's making Jack hesitate, dear. He hasn't heard you sing recently. Sing ain't misbehaving for him. Sure, glad to. Well, sit down, Jack. No, I'll take it standing up. <laughs> well, come on, dear. No one to talk with all by myself. No one to walk with. I'm happy on the shelf. Ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for. Oh, baby, love for you. Really saving love for you. <laughs> he doesn't juggle at all. <laughs> no. I know for certain you're the one I love. I'm through with flirting. It's you that I'm thinking of. Ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for. Oh, baby, my love for you. Jack, what makes you think he's a juggler? He must be. <laughs> Jackie Horner. In the corner, don't go nowhere, and I don't care all your kisses that you gave me, baby. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I might be blood and guts, but that's just guts. <laughs> Stay out late and I don't care to go. I'm home about it, me and my radio. Ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for you. Well, Jack? Gracie, call the newspaper. <laughs>
time for Felix Mills and his orchestra. Tonight, from Felix's memory album, it's Honeysuckle Road. something? I got the impression that Jack Benny didn't like my singing. Oh, George, that's silly. Didn't you hear him tell me to call the newspapers? He wants to give them a big story about you. Yeah, but I noticed that while I was singing, he, he kind of turned green. Oh, well, of course, of course he turned green. You sang exactly like John McCormick. Oh, so that's what well, it was. sure. Now, I'll go in and talk to Jack. You stay here and spray your precious little adenoids. Okay. From time to time and every time. Jack. Yeah? Well, naturally, you were joking before when you told me to call the newspapers, weren't you? Not me, Gracie. Look, I'd rather have everybody know I was in a beauty shop than have Sugar Throat smell up my program. (laughs) Well, I'm warning you. I'll phone the paper. Phone them. This is my last warning, Jack. Go ahead. I'll phone the paper. Phone them. This is my last warning, Jack. Go ahead. I'll phone the paper. Phone them. This is my last warning, Jack. Go ahead. I'll phone the paper. For Pete's sake, phone him. No, Jack, no, I can't. I'm too fine, too decent. I can't stoop to blackmail when I see it isn't working. Now, now, please, don't think I'm a heel, Gracie. I'm, gee, I'm kind of animals. I'm fond of children. But I, I just don't like George's voice. Oh, you're fond of children, huh? I love them. <sighs> Poor little Junior. Poor little who? Junior. He'd be so proud if he knew that his daddy had sung on the Jack Benny program. Gracie, you mean... Yes. George and I are parents now. He's the father and I'm the mother. <laughs> Gee whiz, I, I can't believe it. How, when did it happen? Well, I don't remember exactly. We were so excited at the time. (laughs) Well, I'll be darned. Good old George has a baby. It hardly seems possible. Yes. I was amazed when George told me. (laughs) 
I just can't get over it, Gracie. I'm so happy for you, so happy for George. Who does the kid look like? Like me. I'm so happy for the kid. <laughs> Say, could I, could I see him? I'm crazy about kids. Really, Jack? Oh, sure. I mean, many, many's the time I bought a bag of candy and blew up the bag to amuse a kid. <laughs> Imagine good old George, a father. Well, you can do something awfully nice for Junior. Let his father sing on your program. Gracie, I'm mad about children, Now, that... please, Jack. The baby adores you. When you're on the air, he lies in his crib gurgling with his little foot in his mouth. When Fred Allen's on, he puts his foot in his ear. <laughs> you what a smart little rascal. Oh, I know you'll do it for Junior. I can look in your sensitive blue eyes and tell that you won't disappoint him. They are blue, aren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, George can sing one song just for the baby. Well, let him sing two songs. We're expecting another one. <laughs> really? Yes. Good old George. Did I hear somebody call me? No, we were talking about you. Gracie told me everything. Congratulations, George. You mean I can sing a song on your program? Yes, sir. You deserve it. Gracie tells me there's going to be another one. Well, two would be fine if it's all right with you. <laughs> well, why not? Have you picked out a name for the second one? Would you like Moon Glow? <laughs> Moon Glow Burns. Won't that be just a little too corny? Oh, I don't think so, Jack. You know, while you were away, I took a few lessons from Crosby. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Now, George, I know Jack's in a hurry. Yeah, yes, I'll be going. But, George, first, can I see the nursery? Well, Jack... The nursery? Hiya, what? folks. What goes on? Oh, Bill, am I glad to see you. Bill, I just heard the news. Now, why didn't you tell me that George and Gracie had yeah, a... Li- yeah, yes, Bill. Well, why didn't you tell Jack what George and I had? Well, what did you have? An idea for you to announce Jack's program, and George sings at it. Huh? But I Oh, meant well, to... that's a great idea, Jack. I'd be glad to. Now, wait a minute. I have an announcer, Don Wilson. Well, okay, you can have two announcers. Don Wilson is two announcers. <laughs> but Don can't announce your program, Jack. He doesn't know anything about Swan Soap. Swan Soap? Well, sure. He doesn't know that Swan is the new white floating soap that's four soaps in one. The soap for dishes, light laundry, bathing the baby, or for your hands and face. Don doesn't know that. Well, I could teach him. I mean, what am I saying? I don't sell soap. I... I sell grape nuts flakes. Well, but, but that's ridiculous, Jack. Can you bathe a baby with grape nuts flakes? Well, I wouldn't want to answer that until I've talked to my sponsor. <laughs> well, I can... They're very resourceful, you know. Well, I they can... They may be working on that right now. <laughs> well, I can tell you the doctors recommend Swan for bathing the baby. Swan is so mild it's kind even to a little baby's tender skin. It's pure as fine Castiles, too, so you know it must be great for your complexion. Gee, bathing a baby. You ever bathe that little darling of yours, George? Don't be silly. We take showers. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Well, he he means us. 
But the swan is great for bathing the baby. Oh, yes, and Gracie breaks it in two so she can... Breaks it in two? <laughs> well, sure, Jack. Swan breaks in two so you can use half in the kitchen for your dishes and light laundry and half in the bathroom for the baby or for your tub or shower. Oh, well, look, Bill, don't bother to tell me about swan soap because I'm just using George on my program, not you. You see, I'm only doing it for Junior. Junior? Well, yes, George. That's what Jack calls you because you're so much younger than Jack. <laughs> no, no, look, I mean the baby. The baby? Well, yes, that's what he calls me because I'm so much younger than you. No, Gracie, look, I'm talking about your child. Child? Well, goodbye, Jack. See you at rehearsal Sunday. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Gracie, what does he mean, our child? Oh, dear. I knew there was something I forgot to tell you. <laughs> we haven't got a child. You... Well, so that's it, Gracie. Just to get George on my program, you invented a baby. Oh, no, I can't take credit for that. They were invented years ago. <laughs> don't try to get out of it. I don't want to sing on the radio if I have to get on by tricks. Now apologize to Jack. Oh, I'm sorry, Jack. And don't ever do a thing like that again. I won't, dear. Ever, understand? Yes, dear. Come on, Jack, I'll walk you down to the corner. My goodness, George, what you go through with a name... Uh, hello? Hello, Fibber? This is Gracie. Uh, would you and Molly let George sing in your program next week? Yeah, I know you've got a singer, but I thought you might do it for Junior. Yes, you see, we just had a baby. And he'd be so popular. George and Gracie will be right back. And I'm just going to be here long enough to remind you that the government needs your waste kitchen fats more than ever before. Now, I know sometimes it's a lot of trouble to render the extra fat you trim from meat and to strain all your waste fats from roasting and frying. But those waste fats are so urgently needed for making glycerin. And that glycerin is so necessary for making ammunition that I know you won't mind doing whatever you can. So don't forget, huh? Turn those waste fats into your butcher and keep turning them in. Well, here they are again, those ever-loving Burnses, George and Gracie. Well, George, I've got some wonderful news. Little McGee wants you to sing on his program. Really? Yes. And when he comes over to close the deal, will you sort of fold this napkin into a triangle? Why? And, well, for some silly reason, he thinks we have a baby. Again? Good night, Good night. <laughs> The makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune in to your Columbia station again next week, same time. Don't forget, George Burns and Gracie Allen, CBS next Tuesday night. And now till next week, this is Bill Goodwin saying, well, I, Swan, how about you? Good night, everybody. Transcribed. Ladies and gentlemen... The Railroad Hour. And here comes our star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents Victor Herbert's charming operetta, Orange Blossoms, starring Gordon McRae and his charming guest, Evelyn Case. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. 
Yes, tonight another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In Victor Herbert's charming operetta, Orange Blossoms, I play Roger Belmont. And lovely Evelyn Case is Kitty, the girl who gets kissed in the dark. Oh, that kiss in the dark Was to him just a lark But to her twas a thrill My lawyer, Brassic, do something. Well, Roger, what do you want me to do? Well, it's spring, and I'm in love. I want you to help me. Well, they didn't teach us about these things in law school. Brassic, there's only one woman alive in the whole world, as far as I'm concerned. Well, who is it this time? Ruth? No. Mary? No. Sheila? Absolutely not. Helen. Oh, I, I thought I'd been in love before, Brassic, but Helen tops them all. It's true that I'm susceptible to ladies. It's true that I'm a weakness for their charms. I have always found it simple to succumb to just a dimple or an ankle or a lovely pair of arms. But now my match philandering is over. Those maids of just one charm have left my mind. For my new love's a complete thing I have found the only sweet thing Who has all the other charmers' charms combined Though I've always played about I can say without a doubt This time it's love For the thumping of my heart Seems to whisper from the start This Time it's love. She has made this weary world a fairyland, and the skies are blue above. I have felt this way before in my small affairs of yore, but this time it's love. Though he's always played about, he can say without a doubt. This time it's love Cause the thumping of his heart Seemed to whisper from the start This time it's love She has made this weary world A fairyland And the skies are blue above I have felt this way before In my small affairs of yore but this time it's wrong. Brassic, I want to marry Helen, but, well, there's a problem. Maybe we can solve it legally. Well, let's get all this down on paper. Uh, what's her full name? Helen de Vaquet. Oh. 
A divorcee, isn't she? Yes. Aunt Mary and I both met Helen on the Riviera. I loved her immediately. And Aunt Mary loathed her. So she said if ever I saw Helen again, she'd disinherit me. <laughs> but you saw her anyhow? No. No, Helen left the Riviera a few days later. I would have followed her, but Aunt Mary became ill. And naturally, as her prospective heir, my place was by her side. Naturally. By the time Aunt Mary died, I, I had forgotten... You had forgotten Madame de Vasquez? Oh, no, no, no. I'd forgotten her address. Anyhow, I saw her again, never saw her again, until I met her by chance last week. Now we're engaged to be married. I see. Brasek, my aunt left me $17 million. A sum I have the greatest respect for. <laughs> well, almost as respectable as uh, $18 million. Ah, but in her will, she says that I can only inherit that money if I marry within the year. And if I do not marry any woman who is the divorced wife of a Brazilian subject. Helen's former husband, was he Brazilian? Yes. What can I do, Brasek? I don't want to lose Helen. And I don't want to lose the money. Well, why not marry someone else? Uh, just temporarily, a marriage of convenience. At the end of a year, you can get a divorce and, and marry Helen. Where can I find a woman who'd do that? I know just the lady. All right. I'm in your hands. I can't say that I care very much for the idea. Well, Kitty, I have to have someone I can trust, and after all, you are my godchild. That isn't necessarily a guarantee that you can trust me. Well, you, you can use the money. Yes. Well, then what's the matter? Oh, nothing really. It's just that, like every other girl in the world, I've had my own dreams of spring and love and orange blossoms. In every girl's heart, there is a dream, a golden dream of orange blossoms. She always comes to start
Here are the papers, if you'd like to look them over, Kitty. If you say they're all right, I'll sign them. Well, there's a clause stating that if anything develops of a personal nature between you and the gentleman, you forfeit the settlement. His fiancée insisted on that. And she's quite a jealous woman. She doesn't have to worry about anything of a personal nature developing under circumstances like these. There, that's signed. Oh, uh, come in. I'm sorry I'm late. My car stalled in traffic. Roger! What? You've met. Why, I don't believe I've had the pleasure. I'm sorry. For a moment, I thought we had. Well, this is the young lady. Kissy, may I present Roger Belmont. And Roger, this is my godchild, Miss Winthrop. If you wouldn't mind waiting in the next room, Roger, we're just completing the arrangement. Why, of course. It's a pleasure to meet you, Miss Winthrop. So that's the man. What's the matter, Kitty? Of course he wouldn't remember. Why should he? I was just a schoolgirl. I recall the mad I remember now. We were both such children that I had almost forgotten. Well, that's all right, Roger. Oh, that was love in all its power. Yet today it seems like a sweet but fleeting eye.
We'll return for the second act of Orange Blossoms in just a moment. Hear them? The whistles of the freight trains? Well, maybe I'm just imagining it, but it does seem to me that in that familiar sound there is an added note of pride. Anyhow, today's freight trains have good reason to be proud. For in 1951, the average freight train set a new record in serving you by hauling more tons of freight and hauling them faster than ever before. The railroad set that new efficiency record while doing the second largest job of hauling they have ever done in peacetime. And the important point is, you could not have lived as well as you did. The nation could not have had the goods and materials needed for commerce and defense without the kind and quantity of railroad service performed in 1951. Now, the reason the railroads have been able to do these bigger jobs and do them better stems largely from the fact that since the end of World War II, they have spent over $6 billion on improvements. That money, an average of over $1 billion a year, has bought the new and better equipment and facilities that have given the nation continually better railroad service. However, while the railroads hauled a near-record volume of traffic with record-breaking efficiency in 1951, their net earnings were way down. And the reason is that the wages, prices, and taxes they must pay have gone up so much more than the rates they can charge. That's why, as the railroads carry on with their essential improvement program, it is so important to all of us that they be allowed adequate freight rates. Only then will they be able to keep on raising the money needed for the continued improvement that can alone give America the transportation it needs for commerce and defense. Now for the second act of Orange Blossom, starring Gordon McRae and his guest, Evelyn Case. Oh, Kitty and I were married. I rented a house for her and she lived there alone. I hardly ever saw her. Since Helen was my fiancée, she naturally resented any display of affection on my part towards my wife. However, I did go out to see Kitty with my attorney on the day before she was to file for divorce. I wasn't nearly as happy about the whole thing as I thought I would be. And I left the room so Kitty could talk to the lawyer alone. Out on the veranda, I didn't mean to eavesdrop... Yet, well, you know how it is when they're talking about you. Well, Kissy, are you happy? Why should I be happy? The year is up. Now you can get your divorce, collect your settlement, and live the way you want to live. The way I want to live? If I could live the way I really want to live, I'd live here with Roger. It's only...
didn't know you felt that way. I had no idea. I'm no good for you. I'm a philanderer, a heel. I'm a bum. I... I know it. You're no good at all. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. As a matter of fact, I don't like you at all. I just want to stay married to you. Well, Kitty, you'll be a free woman tomorrow. You'll meet lots of attractive men. But how could anyone be as attractive as you are? Well, you're right about that. It doesn't matter to you how I feel, does it? All that matters is how Helen feels. No. You've got to find a man and be happy, too. Why any man would fall for you. Tell them all to run along and play. You are sweet as morning dew. I won't listen to a word you say. Kitty, darling, do yourself be fair. Men are all a pack of Find one for whom you care. Men are after anything in And Don't you like the way men play? I ask them not to tarry. Then they'll go, you know. I wish it so. yourself today. Now, Kitty, everything's going to be all right for you. I'm sure of it. Well, living here alone has probably made you over-sentimental. I'm sure tomorrow you'll feel a great deal differently. Are you? I'm positive. You tell her that, Roger. You can make her understand. Kitty. These days are trying, but they can never last. Worry will soon be buried in the past. Although we know it is hard for us to bear, bravely we'll face this nighttime of despair. Then comes the dawning of morning, so splendid that fair tomorrow when sorrow is ended. Star must come and go before the dawn begins to glow, and so although our troubles seem double in gray light, they disappear in the clear sunny daylight. The 
us pass along. Then comes the dawning and life is like a This is my wife. Uh, Kitty, this is my fiancé. How do you do? How do do? you do? You've broken the terms of your agreement, you know, Roger. It is stated in the contract most clearly nothing of a personal nature is to develop between you two. All right. I forfeited the settlement. You can keep your money. I wouldn't touch it anyway. Kitty. Don't worry. I won't spoil your little romance. I never want to see you again. Is that clear, Roger? I hope you're both very happy. Kitty! Let her go, my dear. You know you hate women who make scenes. Thank goodness she'll be out of your life for good tomorrow. Ellen. Yes, darling? Goodbye. What did you say? I said goodbye. Modern marriage, a, a marriage of convenience. You know as well as I do, a fellow can't get along without modern conveniences. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, thanks to Isabel Jewell, Howard McNair, and to our entire company. Orange Blossoms, with music by Victor Herbert and book and lyrics by Fred de Graysock and B.G. De Silva, was dramatized for the Railroad Hour by Gene Holloway. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time 
by the American railroads. Last year, Americans lived better and America grew stronger as the nation's productive might swelled. And your railroads, an essential part of all production, whether for commerce or defense, did their part, setting a new record for efficiency and hauling a near-record peacetime volume of freight. Despite that fact, railroad earnings continued to fall as expenses went up faster and farther than railroad rates and revenues. Today, as the railroads carry on with their billion-dollar-a-year program of investment in better facilities for better service, it's important to all of us that they be allowed to earn the money they need for that program. Now, here again is charming Evelyn Case. Thank you, Gordon. Tell me, do you have this trouble every week on the railroad hour, trying to decide which girl to marry? Well, Evelyn, it seems as if every story in the musical theater was written to be played on just one instrument, the triangle. No, no, Carmen, not the musical triangle, the eternal triangle. (laughs) Who are the corners of your triangle next week, Gordon? Well, one corner is the devil, Mephistopheles himself, for I'm going to play the author of Faust, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. And the prettier corner of the triangle will be the gracious star of pictures and Broadway, lovely Patricia Morris. It must be Franz Lehar's delightful Federica. Well, that's right, Evelyn. Will you listen to see if I get the girl? No, I already know. But I'll listen anyway. Good night, Gordon. Good night, Evelyn. All aboard. Well, Franz, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next Monday night and Frederica, this is Gordon McRae saying good night. Orange Blossoms was presented by special arrangement with the Tams Whitmark Music Library. Gordon McRae can be seen starring in Warner Brothers' Starlift. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroads. Now keep tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. The preceding was transcribed. Hear Barbara Gibson on the telephone hour next on NBC.